Welcome, everybody. Welcome, Waters Church. My name's Chris. Last service, I said you're director of pastoral care, and I was corrected. I'm your discipleship pastor. I still don't remember that. It's only been a couple months, but yeah, I'll do my best. So who's enjoying the summer heat? Really? You are? My goodness, I was sweating in the shower this morning. I have to apologize. I got back. I went down to Apollo Beach. Uh, I had the pleasure of preaching there a couple weeks ago, and it was so hot there. My hotel room was like five minutes from the church, and I literally had to change my shirt once I got to the church. It was so hot. So it's probably my fault I brought the heat back with me. So again, I apologize for that. Well, hope you guys are enjoying this series. It's uh, Summer of Psalms. Pastor Tim's going to be back next week as we're going through various psalms in the Bible and what that looks like in our lives to us. And every time I preach, which isn't that often, you know, you're welcome. Uh, but every time I preach, I, I just have to turn to God, rely on him. And I like to tell stories. I usually like to start off with a story and end with a story. And thank God he usually shows up and gives me a story or two. So a few weeks ago, I was in my office starting to work on this message, coming up with the points, and my phone rang. And I picked it up, and it was a guy that has been coming to this church for about two, two and a half years, him and his fiance. They got saved here, they got baptized here, and they started serving here. Uh, but life happens, and they haven't been able to come into the building for about a year. I think they've had car trouble. But he called me up, and I could tell right away in his voice something was wrong. And he started to tell me, he said, you know... My fiance and I were arguing all the time, every day, and I no longer feel the presence of God in my life or in our relationship. And I, I went over some advice that I always give everybody, and I'm going to give you some of that advice here today. But I told him, you need to get in the word of God every day. You need to be praying and worshiping God every day. You need to come to service or even watch online and get under the word of God. And he told me, he said, well, I'm doing that. He said, to my surprise, he said, I'm reading almost every day, I'm praying almost every day, and we're worshiping online at home. And I was a little stumped for a second. And I wondered, you know, what the main problem was. And then it hit me. And sometimes as, you know, your discipleship pastor, I have to have awkward conversations with some of you. Um, and, and, and God convicted me in that moment. I, I told him, I said, look, you've been engaged for two and a half years. It's time to poop or get off the pot. You know, you're living with your fiance. I said, you're living in sin. I'm sorry to tell you, you're living in sin. Sometimes we have to get confronted in that by a brother in Christ. And he kind of, you know, gargled a little bit and asked me to pray for him, which I did, and hung up the phone, and, and that was that. Then two days later, his fiance calls me. Same problem. Says, I don't, you know, we're arguing every single day. We're going at it like cats and dogs. I don't know what the problem is. I don't feel the presence of God. Went over the three things with her. She's praying, she's reading, and she's worshiping in that home all the time. And so I had to tell her. I said, well, you're living in sin. You're, you're playing house, right? Yeah. But then to my surprise, she told me, well, I've actually been saving myself since I got saved. And we haven't been together since I got saved. And I wasn't sure what to say to that. And then God told me, and I said, so you're telling me you're doing life together, you're shopping together, you're cleaning together, you're paying bills together, you're doing life together, you're playing house together, but you don't have the one thing that God gives you, which is the marital bedroom, to get over that fight and that problems. Let me tell you, my wife and I, we fight a lot. She's half Italian and half Irish. <laughs> and I'm stubborn. 
But what we do is we make up. And that marital bedroom, I'm telling you, is a great blessing to a married couple to get over that fight. Can I get a little uncomfortable amen? I'm just saying, if you're playing house and you don't have that outlet. So the cool thing is she called me back two days after that, and I'm marrying them next Friday. So praise God. I also get a lot of phone calls from married couples that tell me, actually, it's usually one person that says, I don't feel in love with that person anymore. And I learned this from Executive Pastor Shane and Marianne, great advice. I always tell them, think back to when you started dating them. There was something about them that made you ask them out or made you say yes to going out with them. There was something about them that you went on a second, a third, and a fourth date. There was something about being in their presence that you wanted to do life with them. And you got to get back to that, right? Sometimes if you've been a Christian for a long time, you don't feel that same fire that God lit in you when he first opened your eyes and saved you. And we have to think back to when God did save us. I've been saved for almost 12 years now. And sometimes even working for the church, I have to think back on what God did with me, pulled me out of. And I, I want to remind you, some of us have to do that today. So we also have to long to be in the presence of God. How much more should we want to be in the presence of our God, the Father who saves us and, and, and sustains us than to be in the presence of any loved one? There's no other better relationship you can have in your life than a relationship with God through Jesus Christ. So today we're going to look at Psalm 51, one of my favorite psalms, psalm written by King David when he was confronted from the prophet Nathan. Now this is about... Um, this is when David committed two of the three biggest sins he ever committed, right? He had a lustful, adulterous relationship with Bathsheba, and then he murdered her husband to try to cover it up. Horrible, horrible sins. But he was confronted by Nathan, and he repented, and then he, he wanted to be back in the presence of God. So this is what David writes. Would you stand with me? We're going to go through all of Psalm 51, but honestly, it's only 19 uh, verses, and I believe it all applies to what we're going to talk about today. Give me one second. So David writes, <clears throat> have mercy on me, O God, according to your steadfast love, according to your abundant mercy, Blot out my transgressions, wash me thoroughly from my iniquity, and cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgressions and my sin is ever before me. Against you, you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight, so that you may be justified in your words and blameless in your judgment. Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity, and in sin did my mother conceive me. But you delight in truth in the inward being. And you teach me wisdom in secret heart. Purge me, and I shall be clean. Wash me, and I shall be whiter than snow. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones that you have broken rejoice. Hide your face from my sin and blot out all my iniquities. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away from your presence and take not your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and uphold me with a willing spirit. Then, then I will teach transgressors your ways and sinners will return to you. Deliver me from blood guiltiness, O God, O God of my salvation, and my tongue will sing aloud of your righteousness. O Lord, open my lips and my mouth will declare your praise. 
For you will not delight in sacrifice, or I would give it. You will not be pleased with a burnt offering. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart. Oh God, you will not despise. Do good to Zion in your good pleasure. Build up the walls of Jerusalem. Then you will delight in right sacrifices, in burnt offerings, and whole burnt offerings. Then bulls will be offered on your altar. This is the word of God. Let us pray. Father God, we give you all the glory. I pray for my mind and my words to be from you. Take, take out of my mouth anything you don't want me to say, but add to my mind and mouth in these next few moments anything that you want your people to hear. I pray for your Holy Spirit and your presence to rain down right now upon all your people. And I pray that we see Jesus, him and him alone. In his name we pray, amen. You may have a seat. So no human is perfect, right? Even except Jesus in the flesh. But no human, including David, he committed murder, I said. He committed adultery. Uh, but a third sin that he had, possibly his worst sin, was pride. Pride. We know that pride was the first sin. That's why Lucifer fell. He wanted to be like God. But I believe pride can also possibly be the worst sin that any of us can have because it leads to all other sins. Through pride, we have lustful relationships. Through pride, we gossip. Through pride, we hate. Through pride, we have no forgiveness in us. So that's a trap that we need to be aware of, check ourselves in pride. And pride can keep us from the presence of God. But here in this Psalm, David shows us how to let go of pride and return to the presence of God. So today I want to go over three things, three things, three points, nine points, and we're done. Don't worry, I'll get you out of here in 30 minutes. I know you want to enjoy the heat. But I want to go over why do we want to be in God's presence? How do we come into the presence of God and what it looks like coming out of the presence of God? So why do we want to be in his presence? Honestly, because so many people, including Christians, including me, Avoid being in the presence of God. We actively choose Netflix, Hulu, Amazon Prime, Disney Plus, Apple TV, ESPN, TikTok, video games, every other thing that this world has to offer except being in the one relationship, the one presence that can truly satisfy us, being in the presence of God with his Holy Spirit. Why do we want to be in the presence of anyone? Well, you date someone, hopefully because you enjoy being around them. You pick friends because you like their company. You might pick a workplace or a school because you like that environment. How much more should we thirst for the presence of God who loves us and saves us and builds us up and offers us eternity in his presence? Here on earth, we should be actively seeking his presence since if we believe we're going to be in heaven, we're going to be in his presence for all eternity. So point number one, and please take notes. I just like to encourage you all to take notes. I learned by doing and by writing, and even if you leave them on the seat on your way out, um, I um, really think God has something to say a little bit to everybody here today, and you're going to remember it more just by writing it down. In God's presence, point one, we have joy, life, and pleasure. We have joy, life, and pleasure. Psalm 16 says it like this, you make known to me the path of life. In your presence, there is fullness of joy. At your right hand, at your right hand, Jesus, are pleasures evermore. Only God can satisfy what we, what we quench for. And, and listen to me, listen to me, 20-something-year-old. Listen to me, college student. 
Like I got saved in my mid-30s, so I didn't grow up a Christian. I lived a worldly life, okay. I went to school in New York. I lived in L.A. for seven years. I've traveled all around the world. I've tasted everything that this world has to offer, and none of it, none of it satisfies, none of it lasts. It might look pretty, it might be attractive, it might even taste good for a minute, but it all fades away. Only the presence of God in Jesus will satisfy what your soul hungers for. So point number two, in God's presence, we have rest. We have rest. Exodus 33 says, and he said, my presence will go with you and I will give you rest. These are the Israelites walking through the desert, setting up camp, walking all day, breaking down camp, walking all night. But God gave them rest because his presence was with them. We too can have rest. Jesus said in Matthew 11:28, 28, come to me, all who labor and are heavy burdened, and I will give you rest Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lonely in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Jesus offers rest like nothing else. Before I got saved in my 20s, I used to get these horrible panic attacks, uh, head to toe. My whole body would shake for 10 to 20 minutes, and it was crazy. I remember having to pull over my car multiple times until the panic attacks just stopped. I don't know what caused those panic attacks but I do know what took them away because I haven't had one since Jesus saved me. Only through Jesus can we have rest. So number three, why do we want to be in the presence of God? Because in his presence, we have courage, boldness, and grace. Courage, boldness, and grace. We learn in Acts 4, now when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and were perceived that they were uneducated common men, they were astonished and they recognized that they had been with Jesus. Peter, who denied three times being in the presence of Jesus, now spoke boldly and courageously about the grace of Jesus to thousands of people, to the same people that murdered Jesus and put him on the cross. He boldly preached to them about the love and mercy and grace of Jesus, and thousands of people got saved and baptized that day. You too, when you walk with the presence of God, can have courage and boldness and experience his grace. We have courage to get through your day, your struggles, and your problems. No matter what you're going through, the hardships or not, God can be there. It gives you boldness to walk in a fallen and broken world knowing who you are in him, knowing that you're a citizen of heaven, not here on earth. And he gives you grace, grace from God that is perfect, holy, and sinless. Grace we don't deserve and we didn't earn, but he offers it to anyone that will call upon the name of Jesus Christ. So how's that happen? How do we come into his presence? Well, first you gotta give your life over to Christ. First you have to repent and accept that Jesus died for your sins on the cross and rose again. If you do that, now you have access to the throne. You have access to the presence of God. <clears throat> it says in Ephesians 2, in him you are also being built up together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. Look, it's not an easy walk even after coming to Christ, but God will continue to work on you and walk with you if you feel his presence or not. So let's look at how, how. Hopefully we learn why. Let's learn how. How do we come into the presence of God? Number one thing, like I told that couple at the beginning, you pray. You pray. You glorify God with thanksgiving for what he has done. It says in Psalm 95, David writes, let us come into his presence with thanksgiving. 
Let us make a joyful noise to him with songs and praise. And then Jesus famously tells us how to pray, right? Jesus says, pray like this. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. May your kingdom come and will be done on earth as it is in heaven. See, David and Jesus right here, both, before they come to God and ask for anything, before they pray for anyone else, they give the glory to God through thanksgiving. They lift off God and us too. When we come to God, we need to come with a right, contrite heart. We need to glorify God just for having this day, just for breathing, just for having a job, just for having food. We need to glorify God because he gives it all. It's all his and it all fades away. We can take nothing with us. I currently live in a three-bedroom townhouse with my wife, and uh, we're currently blessed not to have any children. <laughs> Just kidding. Who knows what God will do. But we have our marital bedroom, right? Blessing from God. And then she has her bedroom, which is basically a, a closet with shoes and clothes and makeup. And then I have my office slash prayer room, and it's a place that I can go, get alone with my Heavenly Father, turn off all distractions, and pray. When I first came to Christ, I was still living with my family. We had a big family, a big house, and I could never find any peace and quiet. I had these two little dogs that would follow me around wherever I went. And if I shut my bedroom door, they would scratch and they would whine the whole time, so I couldn't even pray in there. And I noticed whenever I went to the bathroom, my dogs left me alone for whatever reason. So that became my prayer closet. I don't care where it is. Look, you can pray when you eat a meal. You can pray in your car on your way to work, but you need a place where you can get quiet, get alone, cry out to your father, praise him, and then listen to what he has to say to you. We need to pray. So point number two, how can we come into the presence of God? And these are no particular order. I'm not saying pray and then this and then the next one. These are just three tools in your tool belt to get you back into the presence of God. If you're a Christian that uh, hasn't been feeling in the presence of God for a while, hopefully some of this will help you. But number two, we worship. We worship. Because when we worship, God, we call upon his presence. We call down his presence. Psalms 100 says, make a joyful noise to the Lord, all the earth. Serve the Lord with gladness. Come into his presence with singing. The hearers of the Bible knew that when God showed up, he deserves our worship. He deserves our praise, right? Even the angels, it says in Revelation 4, they say day and night, holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty who was and is and is to come. Look, we need to praise God with worship. Whenever we worship, God promises his presence. That's why we start off worship uh, three songs every service. And I'm going to challenge some of you because I, I notice I see half of you coming in after the second song or the third song or maybe even during the worship, mo um, I mean the uh, MC moment. And I, I might make a couple enemies here today, but I want to challenge you. If you're not feeling the presence of God, you need to come in here early and start worshiping God because that's when he shows up. Look, we start every single weekend with this pre-service meeting. And anyone who volunteers, you're welcome to come to that. What we do there is three things. We start off with worship. We're calling down the presence of God so he's here. He shows up. It doesn't matter who's speaking. It doesn't matter what we do. If God isn't here, then what we do doesn't matter. The second thing we do is pray. We pray for you. We pray for you to come. We pray for these seats to be filled. We pray for you to invite people. And then we go over the service rundown. That's the least important thing. But we got to be practical. But we worship and we pray together. All right. So number three. Is that going to be everybody's favorite point, how we come into the presence of God? 
feel like I'm going to make some enemies today. We need to repent. And, and I say that with a smile. And I say that because in the church today in America, I don't think this is talked about enough. When we repent, God can dwell in us. Right? God is perfect. God is holy. He can't dwell with sin. But when we repent and turn to God, he can dwell us because he no longer looks at our sin. He only looks at us as his son, Jesus Christ. Mark 1 says, and saying the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. 1 John 9 says, if we confess our sins, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. God is perfect and holy. He can't dwell with sin. But a lot of us fail. So what do we do? We have to turn from our sin. And let me say, repenting is not apologizing. It's not just saying I'm sorry and going right back to that sin 30 minutes later. No, repenting is turning 180 from that sin, turning towards the presence of God. And he will help you. He will work on you. Whatever your sin is, gossip, slander, you know, sexual immorality, whatever that is, you need to repent so you can have the blessings of God and be in his presence. I'm surprised I got an amen for that. Thank you. I wonder today, though, who is hearing this and you're missing out on the joy because you're refusing to repent. It's a challenge for some of us, and me too. I'll tell you, whenever somebody preaches, they're also preaching to yourself. We all have something and another step to get closer to God's presence. But repentance is a gift, you know. I'm not up here shaking my finger and saying repent or go to hell. No, repentance and grace are two great gifts that God gives us. Only God can do that. Imagine you go before a judge and you're guilty of a crime and you say, I'm never going to do that again. And you mean it. And he says, okay, go ahead. Free. Free to go. That's what God does when you repent. It says he casts out your sins into the sea and they're no more. He no longer sees your sin if you uh, repent with a contrite heart. It's exciting. Amen. So working for the, and I'm going to make an enemy or two here. Working for the church. I have one pet peeve, well, I have many, but one pet peeve that we'll talk about. And it's not non-believers. I love when non-believers come in here, hear the word of God. We see their baptisms and their life has changed. It's not backslidden Christians because we all have times of trouble, sometimes not all of us, but many people backslide. It's people that come to church claiming to know God but are living openly in sin and refusing to repent. And you think just because you come to church once or twice a month and check off a box that you're right with God. I just want to let you know, Jesus said, not all that call upon his name will enter the kingdom of heaven. And that's something we need to check ourselves. It says to, to look at our own salvation with fear. We need to come to God and, and repent. Mm. All right. But it's also necessary. Repentance is necessary if we want to experience a joyful, loving presence of God. And it's good for the soul. So after praising God, David goes right into repentance here in this psalm. Realizing how wrong he really was. What he had done towards people, sure. But he realizes sinning is against God. And God is perfect and holy. And he wants us to repent so we can enjoy his presence. And that happened with David because God forgave him. He had troubles the rest of his life because of the sins he committed, but he still had the presence of God with him for the rest of his days and is now with God in his presence forevermore. So finally, what do we do coming out of God's presence? Hopefully we learn why and how. What do we do coming out of that? Call ourselves Christians. What do we do coming out of God's presence? Well, when you experience God's grace, you share God's grace. 
David writes in verse 13, then, then, after I repent and you forgive me, then I will teach transgressors your ways and sinners will return. David says, you forgive me, Lord, I'm going to tell others they also can have forgiveness. We need to tell others what God has done in our lives sometimes. It's a challenge for some of us, I know. But Jesus says, and this is like my life verse, Jesus' last words before he was taken to be up on the right-hand side of the Father, right? He says, go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you. My presence is with you to the end of the age. Jesus and David both here talk about sharing the grace of God. When we do God's work, his presence is with us. I love this verse. Uh, as your discipleship pastor, it's pretty much a job description. But it's also a job description for everyone that claims to follow Christ. It's why I love baptisms. It's why I love Kimberly's baptism today. And we see baptisms here all the time. Last year, we had over 100 baptisms. This year, we're currently at like 86. So God is working on all of you. And that's awesome. It's not even August yet. So... Amen. I wasn't egging for a clap there. I just wanted a sip of water. But I love the baptisms. And it's not just because we get to hear these amazing life-changing stories, but it's your opportunity. We have a saying here. It's your opportunity to use your story for God's glory. Okay? I got baptized in our old building, our old church, about 10, 12 years ago. And, you know, unfortunately, most of my family doesn't watch online or come to church. Even when I preach, I invited them all last night, and there were crickets on, on, the, uh, on the cell phone. Nobody responded. But when I got baptized, every single one of my family members was sitting in church and heard the gospel. And I'll tell you, my mother was there, and she raised her hand three months before she passed away. All right? So maybe you need to use that. Maybe you need to step up. Not every, it says we need to have an answer for our faith, but not everybody feels equipped to go out there and tell somebody about Jesus. But if you have called yourself a follower of Christ and you haven't got baptized, that's a great opportunity because people will come for you. They will come and watch. And I, we're going to give you, like Kimberly, you're going to get that baptism video this week. I'm going to send it to you. You can put it on Facebook. That can be your new Instagram profile. I don't care. Use that. Use it for God's glory. So we just had a baptism class. There were four or five people in there. That was great. But if you want to get baptized, we do it on the fourth Sunday every month after the 9 o'clock. But if that won't work for you, grab my card at Info Central. Reach out to me. I'm in the office Monday through Thursday. I'll give you a one-on-one -on -one baptism class. You can do it live. We can record it. Whatever you want to do, we want to make it easy for you. All right? It's a commandment, by the way. Jesus says, if you love me, you'll follow my commandments. And he literally commands us to get baptized. Not to be saved, but to follow his instructions. It's a way to help tell other people about God's grace. So number two, what do we do uh, coming out of God's presence? After experiencing God's grace, you should shine his light. You should shine his light. David writes in verse 19, then you will delight in right sacrifices and burnt offerings and whole burnt offerings. Then bulls will be offered on your altar. There's no bulls being offered on this offer, uh, altar, thank God. But what does the New Testament say? Ephesians 5.2 says, and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. Mark 12 says it like this. 
and to love him with all the heart and with all the understanding and with all the strength and to love one's neighbor as oneself is much more than all burnt offerings and sacrifices. This is what God wants for us for sacrifices. He wants a contrite heart and spirit and he wants us to show love. The two greatest commandments, love God with all your heart and love others. What is love though? Love is an action, love is doing, love is shining God's light out there in the world or here in church. When we fully understand what Christ's sacrifice meant on the cross, how can we not be compelled to share it? I mean, you all heard of Penn and Teller, famous um, magicians? No? Well, Teller's a famous atheist, and he, and he has this story that he tells all the time, and I love it. Uh, it's convicting. He says he actually likes Christians that come and evangelize to him. He says it shows that they actually care. What he can't stand is people that call themselves Christians and don't share the gospel with them. Now, he, this is a non-believer saying he appreciates when people share the gospel with him because it shows that, like, if you're not sharing the gospel, you either don't believe it or you've gone cold and you don't care. You need to tell people. It's not just the speaker up here's job to tell people. We're all told by Jesus to make disciples and tell people about what Christ has done. So point number three, with God's presence, you do his will. You do God's will, okay? John 15, 5, Jesus famously says, I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. For apart from what you do in the name of Christ, in love, is for nothing. The Bible says that some works that we do are going to be burnt up in heaven. And some are going to last forever. Bible also says love is the only thing that lasts forever. All things will fade away, but love is forever. Love is an action. Jesus died for us because he loves us. Jesus says, as the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. Abide means stay. Stay in his presence. Stay in his love. And share that love so other people can feel the presence. Not all who call upon the name of Jesus Christ will enter the kingdom of heaven. We have to think about that. Look, I do acts of love for my wife all the time by cleaning and doing dishes and laundry, and I cook like once a week on the grill, but I don't do that because I'm trying to earn her love. I do that because I love her and I know she loves me. When we think that God loves, when we know that God loves us and we love him, how can we not do that as well for God, for other people? I want to challenge a couple of you because we have a Connect event next weekend, as Pastor Shane talked about. Look, I started serving here right after I got baptized, and I started in the parking lot 10 years ago in January. And as soon as I walked in from that snowy day, it felt more like home because I had people saying, hi, Chris, how you doing, Chris? It just felt more like home. I felt like I belonged. But we also have a saying here that the preaching starts in the parking lot, okay? No matter what you do here, it's going to help people hear the gospel. A couple uh, months later, Carl, our old security, uh, he's not old, but he used to be our security guy, asked me to join the security team. Then a couple months later, he asked me to be the assistant security guy. I said, I don't know karate. I'm 155 pounds soaking wet. What do you want me to do? And he's like, you show up. You're willing 
If you don't think you're able, God will make you able. God uses the willing and he makes them able. I'm only up here right now because of God's grace. I never considered myself a great speaker, but I'm here by the grace of God because I was willing to show up no matter what you do. I had a Connect event last week where six uh, people signed up to sh uh, sign up to serve, and I started to take them around to all the ministries and introduce them to the people that they will be serving with. And I got a little busy because I had different people going different places. And I saw Randy, our security guy at Waters Kids, and I said, "Hey, can you show her around?" With a big smile, a security guy with a big smile on his face, he took her and showed her all around Waters Kids, and now she's signing up next week. You know, it doesn't matter if you're on security, if you're pouring coffee, if you're a deacon, a greeter, if you're a backhand stage, you're helping us show people the gospel and you're doing God's will. All right, final thing to write down, sermon in a sentence, and this is a long one, so get your hands loose. If you want joy, rest, courage, and grace, then we will worship God, repent of our sins, and live a life filled with his presence. Give you a second to write that down. You might not always feel God's presence, even though you're living right, even though you're serving, even though you're praying, even though you're reading. But I want to tell you, God's there. He's with you. He's going to protect you. He's going to provide for you, and he's going to grow you. I want to close with a quick story. I was like, closing the stories. And as it was, I was in my office. Um, couple Fridays ago, trying to figure out how to end this message. And uh, I could have ended just there, right with the sermon and the sentence, but I really wanted something that would wrap it all up. And I went in on a Friday because we don't work on Fridays. Please don't call me on a Friday or show up here at church because we're not open on Fridays. But my phone rang. And a uh, gentleman that was here last service, him and his wife got saved and baptized over the last couple months. And he called me up and he said, Chris, I'm struggling. Uh, he's a construction worker, and he said, I'm out there every day, and these guys, I mean, they're leering at women, they're swearing, it's just hard to be around them. And he said, I'm trying to show them Jesus, I'm trying to tell them what God has done in my life, but he tells me, you know, I just started reading the Bible, I don't feel equipped to answer any of these questions. I said, well, let me help you. Maybe uh, tell me the hardest question that, you, that you've gotten, and I'll do my best to try to help you. And he said, well, there's this guy that came up to me and said that he's a Buddhist, and why is Jesus right and Buddha wrong? He said, how can you tell me that Christianity is the only way and that all other ways are wrong? How is that possible? And, you know, I felt for him because God reminded me in that moment when I first got saved, not growing up Christian, right? I was in the spirituality. When I got saved, I was in the new age. I was studying Buddha myself. I was studying Hinduism, doing yoga. And so were all my friends. So when I got saved, I started to invite people to church and I, and I started to tell one of my friends who I was studying Buddha's teachings with uh, about Jesus. And he said the same exact thing to me. He said, how can you tell me Jesus is the only way? That's so narrow-minded. He told me he doesn't believe Buddha's the only way. He thinks all religions lead to heaven. And I was a new Christian. I hadn't read my whole Bible. I wasn't sure what to say. But right there and then, God gave me an analogy. And I said to him, suppose I bought a house and I had a housewoman party and I invited you over to my house.
But I told you, in order to get there, you have to get up on 95 North, take 295 South, get off on exit 18B, make it right on Division Street, a left on Marcel, go all the way down to the end of the cul-de-sac, and my house is that big blue house. But you said to me, no, I'm going to take 95 South to 295 North, get off on exit 17C and drive around until I find a big blue house. You're not going to find my house. God gives us directions to his house, to his presence. And the only way there is through Jesus Christ. It's a narrow door. It might sound narrow-minded, but there's only one way. And he tells us that way. All religions can't be right. There's only one way. So I want to give us an opportunity. We're actually going to take communion here in just a few moments as a body. But before that, I want to give you an opportunity to know the presence of God. The Bible says if you take communion without a right spirit, without being right with God, without repenting and knowing Jesus, you actually call condemnation on yourself. And I don't want that for anybody. So would you stand with me? And I'm going to lead you in a prayer. This prayer doesn't save you. This church doesn't save you. But having a right heart with God, repenting and truly believing in Jesus, you can know the way to the Father's house and you can live the rest of your life in his presence and his presence forevermore. So bow your heads and close your eyes. Respectfully, we do this so that nobody feels embarrassed. And I'm going to lead you in a prayer which is directions to the Father's house. So if you want to know where you're going after you die, you want to know and give it up to Jesus, say these words. Father God, I give you all the glory. I repent of my sins, and I ask you to fill me with your Holy Spirit, to guide me all the days of my life. I believe that Jesus died for me and rose, and I ask that you make me a child of God. In Jesus' name.